You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Welcome back to another episode of Oil & Gas This Week. You're listening to episode 157. What's going on, Mark? What's going on, Jake, is we're growing like crazy. You and Colin have a awesome Oil & Gas Starts podcast you all launched. Uh, we have Oil & Gas Permian Perspective coming out. We got some great news around Oil & Gas this week that we can't announce yet, but it's really cool. We got the Oil & Gas Legal Risk podcast launching next week. Uh, we got the Oil & Gas Technology podcast launching. So we're growing people, so uh, keep up with us. But it's all good stuff, all fun stuff. And speaking of good fun stuff, we got reviews Thank you, everybody that gave us a review. Great way to keep up from Will D132 from the US. Howdy, Mark and Jake. I listen to your podcast on my drive to the field every time y'all have a new episode. Easy to listen to, yet highly informative. It's the best oil and gas podcast out there. Hope to catch you guys in Houston sometimes. Keep up the great work. Cheers from the Permian. Well, I'll tell you what, Will D, we're going to be spending a lot of time in the Permian, so we will definitely catch up. And then uh, from Vahila Resources, attorney in Houston, great content. I'm working with a petroleum engineer friend to start up an ENP. So having a pulse in the market is vital to our success and pitch. This podcast has become an integral part of our weekly planning meetings. Keep up the excellent work. Jake, how cool is that? Is that businesses are using our podcast in their weekly planning meetings? That's pretty awesome. And yeah. and I, I'd, be, I'd be curious to whoever this is, if you're listening, please reach out. I, I'm, I'm curious to, to meet you guys. Yeah, y'all should reach out to Jake and Colin. And then finally, and this is from from a blast from the past, the Oil & Gas Podcast I always wanted from uh, James Hahn from the U.S. 50-plus episodes after moving on, I have to say I freaking love this show. Jake quarterbacks it better than I ever could. Sure, there's less comical banner. Side note, a lot of people didn't like that, but a lot of people did. But there's also <laughs> less fluff. Being an operator himself, Jake does more than just tee up articles for Mark to analyze. He brings insightful commentary and meaningful context to each week's stories in ways I never could. The result is more dense content with a greater depth and stronger takeaways. Um, I started Oil & Gas this week so I could have a go-to Oil & Gas podcast to listen to. Now I do, and it's better than ever. Five stars. I'll keep it going. Thanks, James. Yeah. Appreciate that, James. Yeah. So now it's time to get into news stories. How are we going to tee this one off? So, Mark, I think m and season has started a little early. Usually, it's, it's Q1 2019 is what we're expecting, but apparently, everybody just wants to buy everybody already. So, let's dive into this. News broke this morning. Chesapeake Energy is acquiring Wild Horse Resource Development Corporation for almost $4 billion. So, it's funny because I, I remember talking to the CEO of Wild Horse probably like four years ago when they were quite a bit smaller than they are today. They focus on the Eagle for Shale and the Austin Chalk formations in Southeast Texas. So, huge congratulations to those guys. That's, that's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that Austin Chalk play is going to be hot. Y'all watch. But this is, this is just a smooth move by Chess, Chesapeake. And I, I agree with you, Jack. I mean, we've been talking about this for a while is that there's, I've never seen so much money sit on the sidelines at all. <laughs> and now people are starting to spend it. Yep, you're, and you're absolutely right about the Austin Chalk. It's it's a it's a play that's been revitalized. I'd say over the last not even twelve months, maybe closer to like six to nine months, we've seen a lot of operators coming in and taking large positions, and they're applying a lot of the techniques and technology that they've learned out in uh, the Permian and the Eagleford, and applying it to the Austin Chalk. So it's a good play, and we'll kind of keep our eyes on that. Yeah. Um, think- so in addition to that, go ahead. No, I was saying, I think it continues. Yep. And so we've also got another uh, acquisition. So Eagleford Oil and Gas Driller Penn Virginia Corp has been bought by Denbury Resources for one point seven billion dollars. Um, yeah. So yeah, we have some we have some stuff working with Denbury. So people stay tuned. But Denbury knows what they're doing. 
Yeah. And they've been around a while too. So they're operating across multiple states, across the Gulf Coast in Rocky Mountain regions. I didn't know this until this article, but they actually specialize in a couple different EOR techniques, mostly consisting of pumping carbon dioxide into the wells. So CO2 injection wells uh, to boost production. So that's pretty cool as well. Yeah. And what's cool is, is PIN actually filed for bankruptcy when the, when the price got really just ridiculously below $30. Yeah, and, but they're able to- they were able to reformat and, and pull themselves out of bankruptcy. So that was kind of cool that they hit rock bottom, but instead of disappearing, they got their act together and they built a lean ship and they were able to come out of bankruptcy. Now they've been, they've been picked up, which is good for everybody. Yep. So congratulations to uh, everybody involved in that deal as well. Uh, next one is kind of a uh, hearsay. I found an article on it. It's not been like confirmed or denied yet, but Endeavor Energy Resources apparently planning a sell. They're eyeing a $10 billion plus sell to uh, whoever will buy them. So the uh, the source hasn't been revealed, obviously, but that would put them ahead of some of the, the largest deals that we've seen this year, you know, with uh, RSP Permian and Energen, uh, with Contra Resources and Diamondback uh, and all the other M&A that we've seen this season. So we'll keep an eye on that as well. Yeah, it, it is, it is funny to watch these deals start to happen because it makes you wonder about in Denver. Were they, do they buy all this acreage intending to go in production or do they buy in this acreage and sit on it and wait to flip it? I think they bought it and sat on it, wait to flip it. Yeah. Either way, there's so many different ways you can make money there. And we still have another, we still have another one. So Blackstone <laughs> Energy Partners has acquired, I don't know if it's been a hundred percent or at least a controlling interest in Altera drilling technologies. So if you're not familiar with Altera, uh, it's the largest pure play independent supplier of polycrystalline diamond compact, aka PDC drill bits in the oil and gas industry. They're one of the fastest growing PDC drill bit manufacturers. Yeah. So that's, that's great news for them as well. Yeah. And let me tell you, Jake, those PDC drill bits chew through some rock like you've never seen. It's insane. And there's other companies that, that do it well. But, you know, how cool is it that Blackstone is looking at picking up a drilling technology, right? So when we talk tech and oil and gas, a lot of people think bits and bytes or software or servers. Tech is also things like drill bits. I mean, you look at, at the, the engineering and the manufacturing expertise that goes into making these drill bits and it's insane. And here's just a perfect example of how Tech and oil and gas isn't always IT tech. A lot of times it's operational tech and the operational tech makes money for the company. So, so, you know, I think this is a smooth move by Blackstone Energy. They, they typically don't make bad moves, but I think this is a very smart move on their part. Yeah, I agree. So shifting gears a little bit, that's a little bit of all of our uh, M&A talk. Let's focus a little bit on, uh, you know, what's going on in Colorado. We've talked about Prop 112, which would severely just completely decimate the oil and gas industry in the state of Colorado would eliminate, I think it's like 85 to 90%, if not more of all, pretty much all oil wells in, in the state. So the article kind of dives a little bit into the Colorado Oil and Gas Conservation Commission uh, is reviewing dozens of new drilling permits applications this week ahead of the ballot measure. And so to me, that's kind of a good sign and it kind of what I've seen on LinkedIn and stuff with, with everybody, all of our friends in the industry who are there working in Denver, I saw a lot of people who are like just really, you know, packing the meetings and going out there and, you know, and, you know, I guess kind of almost lobbying against, uh, you know, Proposition 112. And it was kind of, you know, reassuring to see the number of people in our industry that were going out there to, um, you know, to really make a difference. So. Yeah. So don't, don't let anybody fool you, right? This is not about health and safety at all. This is about yep. banning oil and gas in Colorado. Don't be fooled, right? 
if if you're on the fence about this, I want you to think about not the oil and gas companies. I want to think about I want you to think about your neighbors. I want you to think about the schools your kids go to. Right, all that is funded by the oil and gas industry. And and do you really want to put your neighbor in the unemployment line? No, you don't. Right. So even if you're on the fence about this, think about the outcome of banning oil and gas in, in Colorado. And and I get it. Right. And if, and if the citizens of Colorado decide to vote this way. Even though I don't agree with it, I will support them because, quite honestly, all those jobs will come here in Texas and, and it just make it better for us. But if you're in that state and, and you don't really understand what's going on, let me just break it down for you. So basically, there's setbacks. There's rules in place already on how close oil and gas operations can be to homes and schools. They've increased that range tremendously, which would effectively ban most oil and gas exploration and production in Colorado. That means that all the companies that hire, employ all these people would then lose their ability to make money. So these people would lose their jobs. And then think of all the sub industries. Think about all the hotel rooms that are filled up and all the restaurants are filled up by the oil and gas industry. All those people would lose revenue and a lot of them would lose their jobs. Think about the tax money that goes to rebuild roads and goes to schools. All that would disappear. And so you have some people out there that they're saying this is an environmental thing. As somebody that has a degree in wildlife management, this is absolutely not an environmental thing. This is a war in oil and gas in Colorado. So if you're on the fence, if you're not sure which way to vote, do a little bit of research, but vote for your neighbors. Bottom line, this thing does not need to go through. Yep, 100%. So I will right, stay tuned on that. And up next, North Sea oil and gas exploration is still attracting billions of dollars in investment. And so you've heard a lot of stories about the North Sea oil and gas exploration, I guess, kind of demise, you know, with it being, you know, a lot of the platforms being decommissioned. It was just not economical whatsoever. If I remember correctly, yeah, I think I think what what we're seeing is that there's been a significant amount of interest here. We're seeing a lot of different uh, investment decisions from different firms, kind of looking to go back and actually revitalize the some of the North Sea prospects that we have up there, and leveraging some of the newer technologies, particularly data, to make these more efficient and to make them more successful. Yeah, and let me tell you what's going on in North Sea. So, so they those those fields are mature. And so they, they peak production, I think around 2000 ish. So they peak and now the production is declining. But Jake's right. We're bringing new technologies as an industry to increase that production. But there's where there's a big opportunity from a business point of view is in Norway. When the operators decide to go into, to do exploration and then go into production, they pay into a fund and that fund is to pay for the eventual capping of that well and possibly tearing down the, the production platform, right? So it's called decommissioning. So the, the, the money to be made is in decommissioning. So it's not like that money isn't there. Years and years and years ago, the companies put the money in a fund. So there's billions of dollars sitting there to pay for this decommissioning. Well, if you can come in and decommission two or 3% more effectively than your competition, you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars of profit. And Jake's right. There's new technology out there around decommissioning that could help you pull way ahead of your competition. It also, there's technologies out there that will help a smaller company compete with much larger companies. Once again, all around understanding the data that's being generated by these decommissioning. At the same time, you're seeing major players exit the North Sea because it doesn't fit in their future plans, which then opens up the North Sea to smaller players. That's not usually what happens. In North Sea, the, the environment, the, the weather and, and, and everything else is really severe. And the amount of CapEx it takes to actually go into production is a lot. And so it's usually only the big companies. Well, now there's uh, ways for smaller companies to come in. So this is this could be really interesting to watch a mature field, which historically would have slowly been shut down 
capped and, and the production platforms removed or sunk to make reefs for the, for the ocean to see that it continues to be looked at by new, smaller, more nimble companies with technology that allows them to actually increase production. So this is almost like an experiment in long-term hydrocarbon extraction happening right in front of us in real time, in real life. So it's going to be interesting to see where this thing goes. Yep. So $5 billion Saudi investment, uh, LNG investment plays into Russia's hands. Great. <laughs> so depending on who you ask, uh, you know, energy markets would likely be better off without any kind of uh, Saudi-Russia collaboration or cooperation, especially on the oil and gas side. But it looks like they're formalizing a, a new deal, kind of ushering in a new Saudi-Russian oil market world domination strategy with even stronger ties than they've had before. So they're planning on building, I think it's a... Uh, it's a $5 billion LNG project in the Russian Arctic, so funded by by Saudi. So, yeah, that's good. Yeah, well, if you listen to the show for any length of time, you know I've been saying forever that we don't need Russia and OPEC to become friends. And that's starting to happen just because between the two of them, they have too much control. Now, I will say this much, Jake. If we wanted to, we could take that away from them. We could take the market share away from them. The, the only problem is we put a lot of our people out of, out of work. But if we flooded yeah. the market, we, we, could, we could take it, which I don't think is the right thing to do. And th- this, again, if you've listened to us, you know I've said a million times that gas or LNG is the fuel of the future, that really Exxon and Shell have both turned themselves on natural gas companies. Here's just another verification that, that I'm probably right about that when you know Saudi and Russia have agreed on an Arctic LNG project. And you know they're going to be putting out close to 20 million tons of, of LNG a year. And that's huge on the global scale. And they're not going to do that unless they know for sure there's a market for it. Then once again... Here's this Saudi-Russian cooperation where they used to be competitors is a bit of a new business model where, where Russia has the hydrocarbons and the workforce and Saudi Arabia has the capital. Well, you start looking at this, then you start looking at these two could team up and actually penetrate the Asia-Pacific market, which is a place where we're very strong right now. The flip side is, as Russia's doing this, we are starting to export LNG to Europe, which is in the very, very beginning, very first stage of us loosening Russia's chokehold on the energy that goes to Europe. So this is some serious geopolitics going on. This is long-term type of stuff. It's going to be really interesting to, to, to watch what goes on with this. You know, it's it's strengthened the ties between Russia and Saudi Arabia. If this thing starts to continue from a geopolitical point of view, this brings Russia in as a partner for Saudi Arabia from a military point of view. You know, just recently, you've probably seen on the news where we've had hundreds of millions of dollars worth of military equipment sold to Saudi Arabia. That's good for the U.S. You know, weapons companies, also good for our aerospace, you know, all that sort of stuff. Well, now Russia can get a piece of that. So it's from, from a business point of view, from a geopolitical point of view, this is interesting times. We just need to keep an eye on this and see where it goes. Yep. Shell is picking a digital platform or has picked a digital platform to build its AI future upon. So uh, Shell has chosen Silicon Valley-based C3 IoT uh, on Microsoft's Azure cloud service platform to kind of build their growing arsenal of machine learning and artificial intelligence programs. Let's talk about this. So part of me wants to be extremely optimistic and say, I'm so happy for them. And and I... this could be a great thing. It's hard for me to determine from this if this is going to be a, a uh, I guess, an, a company-wide project, uh, meaning across upstream, midstream, and downstream for a company like Shell. I think platforms like this would work great in downstream, where you're dealing with kind of a more of a closed-loop system with a control system, so data quality is going to be there. And I think you could do some really cool things around machine learning and AI there. 
having everything that we do in upstream, understanding uh, the current state of data and data management within companies such as companies like this and uh, larger and smaller. You can't have machine learning algorithms that you're training based off of Excel spreadsheets, and you can't have any artificial intelligence based on that either. So that's just me being kind of a, a realist, but it's interesting to see kind of where this goes. Admittedly, I don't know a whole lot about the C3 IoT platform. I've heard a bunch about it. I know that they've raised a significant amount of money. I know that they're industry agnostic, and it seems like they're focusing more so on the industrial type industries, but I could also be wrong there too. Yeah, so there's a, there's a backstory here that nobody talks about. Freaking Microsoft and Azure. Nothing against Microsoft. I know y'all. We love y'all. But, you know, I said this a long time ago. People told me I was crazy. I said, you you watch the big tech companies, the IBMs and the Oracles and the Microsofts world. One of them's could turn himself into an oil and gas company. And that Microsoft Azure platform is everywhere. And imagine being the platform that Shell builds its AI tool upon. I mean, I, you know, that, that's genius on Microsoft's part. The other thing that's going to be interesting about this is it's really cool to talk about AI. And, and we're at the point now where companies that have enough money, such as Shell, when they partner with the right people, they can do some really cool stuff. I mean, if you look at in this article that Jake found, they're talking about they used well data from over 600 wells running progressive cavity pumps. And they created a program that detected failures four weeks ahead of time. This led to almost 300-day improvement in pump life. This is what AI is, folks. AI is not Siri talking on a phone. AI is going, John, that pump's going to die in two weeks. Let's get a replacement out there, right? It's a real value added. But the thing is, Jake, will the cultural of Shell, will the people that work there adopt this? If the tool's there, it doesn't mean people will use it. In my past, I've worked for some very large tech companies, and I sold oil and gas. And one of the things that I saw over and over again is somebody at the top would fund a, a tool, a, a, a technology tool, see the value in it, but then the people in the field never adopted it, and it just died, slowly died away. I've seen that over and over and over again. So let's hope this isn't that case. Let's hope Shell has also included its frontline people and its frontline managers uh, in, in to figure out how to use this effectively so that the field people will adopt it and use it, not just the people up in the ivory towers. Yep. Sorry for being such a party pooper, but that's just my real estate point of view. <laughs> well, no, I'm not being a party pooper either. I've just seen it over and over and over again. And I've seen the opposite. I've seen some tools out there that, quite honestly, were not that great. But because the people that ran that company came from oil and gas, right, and they knew the lingo and the language and our risk aversion, this industry adopted it without a second thought, right? And there were better tools out there, but the better tools didn't understand the oil and gas industry. So there's two sides to that. And that's one of those things I think this downturn that we're coming out of is, is changing is that – I think the oil and gas industry now is going, you know what, just because this technology is never used in oil and gas, which historically would have been a deal killer, now and in today's world, they're going, let's look at it a little bit further anyway. And that's that's a different way to think in our industry than it was even just 10 years ago. Yep. All right. Last article for the day. Uh, I thought this was pretty interesting. I don't really know exactly where they're positioning themselves, but Schlumberger's Hexacom, I'm guessing it's one of their subsidiaries, launched the oil field marketplace. So it's an e-commerce platform that connects oil and gas industry professionals with the products, services, and information. They need to optimize their assets. So they're, they're toting a seamless online experience that makes ordering oil filled products as easy as ordering a book. It's funny because we actually had this exact conversation with Blue Bear Capital yesterday on the oil and gas startups podcast. And, you know, I brought up the point that you know, there's been so many companies who've tried to come in and, and become like the Amazon for oil and gas. Like, I mean, dating back to like the year 2000, 2001. Oh, yeah. I and sat on a board of one 10 years ago. Which one was that? Uh, I can't remember. Go, Rick. Was it? No. 
He's a go-rigger, I think. Go-rigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go-rigger. Yeah. yeah. And so they've all failed. And so that was one of the things I brought up because they have a portfolio company that it, it's somewhat resembles something like that, but they're having a lot of success. And so I was kind of asking him, you know, what do you think is different this time around? And, and he kind of pointed to their, their management team and stuff. But I'm, it, it, I guess in kind of in, in this context, I'm kind of curious to see how this plays out and what is different in you know, I do think that the difference being, you know, especially we've seen over the last like two to three years, culturally, you know, the digital natives, the, the younger generation are kind of demanding something like this. So maybe perhaps everything else was just too early. You know, I maybe that could be it. And maybe it could be also that, you know, every time that we kind of went into or one of these platforms was gaining traction, we went into a downturn and, and, the, and adoption just completely plummeted. So I don't know. What are your thoughts, Mark? So one of the things I've actually seen this tool, one of the things that it does, I think ties into this knowledge stream we're going through right now is it has predictive analytics in it. So typically if you were to order and, and I'm making this stuff up, people don't send me hate mail, but typically if you're going to order a mud pump offshore, the guy that ordered it to replace the one that went bad knows to send a, a bolt kit with it, right? He just, he's been doing it for 20 years, right? You need new bolts. Well, the, the new younger workforce may not have that experience of sending mud pumps offshore for 20 years. And so when they get a request for a mud pump, they send the mud pump, but they don't think, oh, I need to send a bolt kit. Well, what's cool about Hexcom is that when it, you go to order a mud pump, it does predictive analytics. It goes, I think you also need a bolt kit. And the more it gets used, the smarter that predictive analytics gets. And that's going to help mitigate this loss of experience that industry is going through right now, which is, which is a huge deal. So I, I think the fact that we're at the point in time where we're going to need this at this helps with knowledge transfer. The fact that it's Slumberjay bringing it to market. I mean, Slumberjay, most people know who they are. So I think they have a good chance of bringing this to market. Now, the cool thing is, Jake, I haven't released our 2019 predictions. That'll happen in November. It's actually another month away. But one of my predictions for 2019 ties exactly across this. And I'll tell you what, I will give our audience, since we love you to death, a sneak peek into what that prediction is. And everybody's going to tell me I'm crazy like they do every year. But I think that we're at, for 2019, we're at the very beginning of the decline in field sales staff with the service companies. So right now, you got a guy that works for Schlumberger. It's out in the Permian. He gets in a truck. And this is the truth. He goes, gets donuts and beef jerky. And he goes to all the well sites. And he talks to the, the operators that are out there. And they know him. They know Schlumberger. And if he does that well, if he and if he has a good reputation, if he's always honest and everything, when they need help, they'll call him. They'll call Schlumberger, right? That's how sales is being done out on land right now. I think that's going to disappear. I, and I think the very beginning of it is something like this. I think what's going to happen in, in our lifetime, and I think it's going to start next year in 2019, is that you won't need as many field staff because your sales staff, instead of being in the field, will be in a sales center somewhere. There's so many advantages of doing that in that you have your entire sales team right there. So if you need to train them on something new, a new product, whatever you do, everybody at one time, it's very easy to manage that group. They get normal hours. You don't have to worry about lost time instances because they're driving around in Midland somewhere at midnight. And so I think this technology is going to move, start moving the sales from the service companies in the field to a back office somewhere. So, so basically almost think of like an inside sales position, but supported by very robust technology. And I think it's going to start in 2019. And it's funny you found this article because you and I did not talk about this. And this just validates what I think is going to start and happen in 2019. And please, if you're out there in the field, you're not going to lose your job. It's going to take 20 years for this to happen. But I think it's going to start in 2019. Yep. I agree 100%, Mark. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up the stories uh, for the week. We have a Red Wing spot. We're giving away bags still.
<laughs> no, yeah, we're still giving away the bags. <laughs> we just don't announce people's names anymore. It's a, if you'd like to win one, it's very easy. Go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Enter your information. We give away one lucky winner a week. And then Jake, what's the rig count doing today? So the drilling info rig count is 1143. So we're down 1%. Nice, hard, solid. Not number. bad. We're going into the end of the year. Rigs are going to slow yep. down. We see it yep. every year. So not a bad thing. And then events on deck, uh, if you're listening to this, it's too late to go to the October <laughs> happy hour because it happened a couple of days ago. But we have the next one coming out in November. It's always the last Tuesday of month. So this will be Tuesday, November 27th. We'll have a link in the show notes. You can always go to oilandgasglobalnetwork.com. We have an events calendar there. The events sell out. We have a spotlight showcasing new cool stuff, great food, great beer, just a really good time. So if you're in the oil and gas industry and you want to network with your peers, especially if you're a younger person in oil and gas, come check it out. Like I said, the last Tuesday of every month. And then we have this and other events that we uh, put in one newsletter. It's free. We'll have a link in the show notes. If you listen to this on your phone, which you probably are, just swipe either up or left or right, depending on where, what platform you listen on. Go click on the Get Mark's Monthly Email for about events. And then every month we'll stick it in your inbox. If you'd like Jake and I to come speak at your university, your conference, your school, your company, whatever, we've done it all. <laughs> the one place, Jake, that we haven't spoke yet is at a gym. We, we somehow need to figure that one out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of that, I, I'm actually going to have a, we're going to actually have a personal trainer on the HSE show. Isn't that cool? Interesting. Yeah. Well, when you think about it, think about how much physical fitness affects the way you work and your ability to work. And so we should have probably had somebody on that show a long time ago, but this will be our first personal trainer we have on the HSE show. And folks, if you don't know what I'm talking about, we have more than this podcast. We have an HSE show and an industry leader show and a startup show and a bunch more to come. If you like our first Friday Q and A's, uh, do us a favor, uh, go to the website, allingassthisweek.com, click on ask a question, give us your question. Remember the goal is not to stump Jake and I, the goal is to ask something that you need help. Please with. don't can... ask super technical questions. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jake, you don't know this. We had the guy last first Friday Q and A, there's talking about the differences in pressure with LNG and sealed containers. Don't you know one of our audience members could answer his question and reached out to me and I connected them. Nice. Isn't that cool? Because it was way above our pay grade, way above our pay grade. But ask a question. If we use your questionnaire, you get a huge shout out. And then while you're on the website, go ahead and just give us your email address. We won't spam you. We have some marketing help coming in soon. So poor Julie isn't doing all of our social media marketing. So those email lists will get get used in a very valuable way. And if you're not on there, we can't help you. We can't deliver whatever that values could be. And then join the LinkedIn group. LinkedIn's getting better and better. Speaking of Microsoft earlier, Microsoft's doing a good job with LinkedIn. Just go to LinkedIn, type in OGG will pop up join it's the companion of this show and all the others Whew, a lot going on uh anything else you want to talk about jake well if you're not tired of hearing me ramble on this show you should go listen to the oil and gas startup show with me and colin it's blowing up guys uh we've had uh over 1100 downloads so far in like under three weeks which in podcast terms is amazing so thank you to everybody who's listened to that so far the feedback the ratings the reviews and everything have been absolutely fantastic so go check this out you know help us grow the show i'd uh, love to hear what you think about it and that's it yeah even if you're not into on gas startups the show is fascinating because you get to hear the backstories of the people that are doing that type of work some of the challenges they run into, some of the ways they've gotten around those challenges. So especially if you're in sales in oil and gas, you need to go listen to that show. You'll pick up a lot of insider information to help you. And it's fun to listen to. Now, I will tell you this. It's our first explicit podcast, Colin. It's our first <laughs> explicit podcast. So make sure your young kids aren't in the car while you're listening to it. But it's a great show. All right, Jake, you ready to get out of here? Yep, let's do it. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. 
Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a product of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com.